I don't want you to think that if I don't get a second interview, that means I'm a failure. Everything else lined up great. Everything else got you to a lead. Everything else got you noticed. But that final 10 meters is when if you don't nail that, somebody else passes you. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. We're just about to finish up the month of March. And as many of you know by now, March is Women's History Month. I'm hoping many of you also noticed that this past month, we highlighted five impressive women in the sports industry. From Felisa Israel to start the month and Laura Estefan, diversity marketer for the Atlanta Braves, coming up to end the month on Wednesday. just want everybody to reflect on that for a second. As we went through this month and we had in really impactful women from Tamara Brown to Camille Buxeda to Sam Fisher, the stadium experience manager for the Tennessee Titans, this has been as impressive of a group that I've ever had the pleasure of interviewing. I've learned things from their careers, but I've also broadened my perspective into what their journey has been like. So as you go through and listen to the content, and I really, I really think you should, all the men in the audience, widen your lens, pay attention to what their journey was like, and gather information from their experiences and the advice that they're sharing and the journey that they've gone on. And also for the women out there, I hope that you'll find some inspiration and understand that this is a path that you can pursue and it's a, a way that you can dive in. You can make your name heard. You can be your own advocate. You can really create this niche for yourself. These women are extremely impressive and I'm just really thrilled that we were able to do that this month. But let's transition now. Let's get into today's question, which is a really great one coming in from Nathan in the Chicago area. Nathan writes in. Hey, Brian, I've been trying really hard to leverage the great resignation and find myself a sports career I love. Per your recommendations, I've been applying for jobs I'm qualified for. I've leaned into my network. I've tailored my resume for the specific job and to get through the applicant tracking system. And it's working. I've had four interviews for great roles over the last month. Yeah, baby. That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. Here's the problem. I haven't had any second interviews. I know you aren't witnessing my performance, but in your experience, what do you think I may be doing wrong? Nathan, I think this is a really great question. I think it's applicable to a lot of people. You are smart in the way you're going about this. You're leveraging opportunity right now. You're leveraging some of the churn that's happening in the sports industry where people are leaving opportunities, looking for greener pastures, whatever they may be doing, but that's opening opportunities and you're being aggressive and trying to get those. And you've identified a lot of those key factors in getting noticed and getting yourself to that interview. You know, making sure that you are matching the experience needed for a certain job, that you have the skill set that matches those jobs that are in demand and matches the marketplace, working to refine your network and really leverage that so that you can have people in your group that can advise you, mentor you, let you know about opportunities, uh, refer you for them, possibly give you opportunities within their organization looking at your resume, really refining that process, making sure it's matching the specific job application, getting it set for the applicant tracking system. But you do all those things right. And the interview process is that final 10 meters of the race. So if you are running the 400 meter and you are chugging around and you're doing everything right, you've got that resume on point, you've got that network firing, you've got your resume and cover letter and your experience, and everything's matching up really great and you get noticed, and you get that interview, that's that final 10 meters. Everything else lined up great. Everything else got you to a lead. Everything else got you noticed. But that final 10 meters 
is when if you don't nail that, somebody else passes you. And it sounds like that's what's happening here. You're doing all these steps correctly, but then that interview process is just failing you a little bit. So let's look at that. Let's understand what's happening from the employer's perspective and give you some ideas on things you can do differently and some things you may not be able to avoid. So let's break this down on how this works behind the scenes. Let's let's take you through the viewpoint of a hiring manager in this process or a recruiter or an HR consultant, whoever is doing this process for you. So there are things you can't control, and I'm going to tell you a couple of those. And then we're going to get into the things you can control and those activities you should be doing. What's key to remember with the things you can't control, it's not an excuse. I don't want you to look at these things you can't control and be like, oh, it's out of my control. There's nothing I can do. It's somebody else's fault that I'm not getting second interviews. Nothing I can do about it. Let's move on. That's not the perspective I want you to have. I want you to acknowledge these things you can't control so that you don't take it so personal all the time. If you don't get a second interview, it's not something that should discourage you. It's not something that should depress you because sometimes it may be out of your control in these instances I'm going to give you. But there are also a lot of things you got to make sure you are doing correctly. So we're going to get into those as well. Let's start with the actions you can't control. Number one. Employers' needs or budget may have changed. Like they might have pushed out a job and things change rapidly in this world. So they may have said, we have budget for this opportunity. We're going to hire it for this scope. We're going to do this thing. And then somebody else in their company leaves and they have to allocate resources there. Or they changed the scope of the job and wanted it to be a manager instead of entry level. Or things just sometimes change in the process. They start going through the interview process and they identify, you know what? I think our need might be a little different. So we're going to tweak this. This actually happens a lot. And that might be why as they've gone through this process and they're evaluating things and they're seeing the talent that's out there, they may make some tweaks to what they expect and need from the role. Not always something you can do anything about, right? You can only be yourself. You can only be where you are right now. So just understand that sometimes the role will change after you've applied and after you've started down the process. Secondarily, a lot of times jobs are posted, but an employer may have in their head a potential internal uh, promotion. So as I've stated many times in the show before, when I'm hiring and I look at the holistic process of hiring and building a team, Because I'm not just thinking of this one role. I'm thinking of the entire team. I'm thinking of the entire culture. I'm thinking of how everything interacts with one another. And in so doing, I will often, in my head, say, half the time, I want to hire somebody from the outside, right? If I post a job, I want to hire somebody that's working somewhere else because they're going to bring in a new point of view. They're going to bring in experiences from somewhere else. They're going to bring in some best practices and some culture and some different things. It's going to enhance our overall operation. But half the time I want to promote from within because that sends the right message to everyone on the team, everybody in the building, that if they work hard, if they do the right things, there's career growth here. There's opportunity here. They can grow and they can advance and they can earn more money and they can get all these extra benefits in their growth. So for me, when I hire, I'm thinking of what do we need right now? Do I want the team do I have an asset here that I need to promote so that they they stay and it retains them and that they see that growth amongst the rest of the team and it sends a good message? Or do we need some outside influence right now? Do we need to bring in somebody else to give a different point of view? Sometimes you might be applying for a job that is and an interviewing for a job that somebody's internal already ahead of you. 
They're still posting the job. They're still going through the interview process. They're still farming leads because you could fit a role for them in the future, or they might find out that you're way better than the person they had earmarked internally, or you don't know what their process is. But sometimes you're interviewing for a job that in, in the hiring manager's mind has already been decided. Can't do anything about that. Nothing you can do. It's just the reality of the world, okay? And the third one I want to mention that you have very little control over is understanding how recruiters can even evaluate that first interview. And here's what I mean by that. Recruiters are really good at this. Recruiters do this all day long. And I'm talking HR consultants. I'm talking all the people within a staff that are within an organization that are in talent acquisition, that are doing those first interviews, that are asking really good targeted questions. Sometimes they may ask you a question that you think you answer perfectly. They may ask you something like, what's your ideal work environment? And you're like, oh, I thrive in a, in a in a cubicle where I can really focus in on the data and I want a, a, you know, a, a quiet kind of environment where I can really process and think big and strategize and think ahead and et cetera. And you're like, that was a great answer. I nailed that. I was on top of that one. And they may be thinking, we have this crazy environment that's urgent, that's open air, there's no cubicles, there's blah, blah, blah. And they might be like, okay, this person isn't a match for this. So you walk out of it thinking, oh, I answered that question perfectly. And they're like, yeah, but you're not a match for who we are. And that's just one example. But recruiters, the questions they ask in those first interviews really are those qualifying or disqualifying type questions, you know? And so you can disqualify yourself even with a good answer, even with an honest answer. Now, it's not you, it's them. It's what they need. It's what their process is. It's what their desires are and what their environment is. You shouldn't change who you are. You shouldn't tell them something different. You shouldn't tell them what they want to hear because then you're going to be upset in this role. This is actually a good thing. This makes it so that there isn't a match between two unmatching parts. If you go and work in an environment where it's frantic and hectic and it's loud and it's over the top and it's a ping pong table right next to your office and you're not productive and you're not happy and you go home frustrated every day because your environment needs are different, that doesn't work for anyone. So don't fake it. Don't be different than you are. It just means you're not a match to this role, and that's okay. So those are three things that you can't really control. Again, not excuses, but just things I don't want them to, I don't want you to think that if I don't get a second interview, that means I'm a failure. Oh no, I'm never going to get hired. And then you spiral and you snowball and you, or you're in this anxiety pit that you can't ever get out of. Sometimes it's out of your control. Now, you need to evaluate these things. You need to be thinking, am I doing all these really important steps in the process correctly. This is what you can change. Number one, maybe you didn't prepare well enough. Did you do your research? Did you really prepare for this interview? Or did you think I'm good enough and I can just wing it? A lot of people think they can just wing it. And you might be very good at just winging it. Somebody else may be passing you because when they're doing it, they're also answering the questions really well, but they're also able to weave in a little bit of history about the company or understanding a little bit better about how they make money or something recent happening about them in the news or how their organization is structured or what their initial public offering was like. I'm just throwing out different examples, right? There's a lot of different things you need to research about the company, how it operates, what's happening recently that, again, when you're on your interview, you may wing it beautifully. You may handle every question great. You may really nail things. Somebody else may do that too, but also layer in research and an attentiveness to detail 
and an extra layer of knowledge here. Remember, when you're interviewing, it's down to a little number of people. It's a smaller group. So it's 1%, 5% difference. It's not like these wild swings. If they're saying, wow, all these people are really good, but that guy or that girl put in a little bit more effort and really researching and understand how we work. I like that. If you're not doing that, somebody else could really pass you. Number two, you didn't interview with stories. Okay, remember this. When an interviewer, especially a recruiter, is doing this, they do it a lot, right? They are on the phone. They are doing video calls, hiring managers, et cetera. They're doing these kind of calls a lot. They're seeing a lot of different type of people. And they're asking certain questions a lot. So they might ask you something like, tell me about a time you had to work on a team project. What was the project? What was your role on the team? And how did it work out? And you may give a really good answer. You may say something like, we had this group presentation in class. We had to do a research study. I handled the research. This person handled the presentation. And then blah, 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 we got a B plus. And you're like, great, I answered that question really well. But you know what? Somebody else may be telling a story about their experience in minor league baseball. And they may be saying, you know, in minor league baseball, every night was a team project. We had to work together as a fan engagement team as a box office team, as a press room team, we had to entertain everyone cohesively as a team. And here's what my role was, and here's what I did, and here's how I influenced the impact, and here's how I fit into that. I worked cross-functionally across these teams. And in one night, I was working in the press box and seeing it from that perspective. The next night, I was working in fan engagement amongst the fans and saw it from that perspective. And I learned every single step of the way. Okay, again, that's somebody with a good story that's going to stand out to me. I'm going to notice them. I'm going to see how they relate their experiences to what I need. That beats your story. So really think about the way you craft, the way you share your information in the interview process, because that's what connects with somebody. That's what makes you memorable. That's what's going to make somebody who's in recruiting say, this person's got it. They really see this picture. So think about those experiences and be ready for those type of stories that you can share, because that's how people remember things. If you're just giving them a list of tax, uh, tactics that you've done, it's not as memorable as somebody really getting into a story and showing their passion and enthusiasm for what they did and what they achieved. So bring that story, that story level up to a high level and leverage those big experiences that you've gotten out there to this point of your career. Okay. You didn't follow up afterwards. Point number three, everyone should follow up after an interview. Matter of fact, I got a data point here for you in a survey from Top Resume. of hiring managers and recruiters, 68% is a lot, said receiving a thank you note influenced their decision about whether to hire a candidate. 68% of hiring managers said it influenced their decision whether they got a thank you note or not. Okay, that's enough for you to say, I should be doing this. I had one friend, Mark Grass Jr., who's a recruiter for Prodigy, he's a president, I think president? Titles, whatever. Mark's a great guy for Prodigy Search, which is a awesome sports search firm, sports recruiting search firm. Mark said, um, when he and I had this conversation one time, he's like, send a thank you email in the elevator and then a letter by the time you get home, right? So you finish your interview and right away you're sending a thank you to via email to every one of the people that you just interviewed with for the day or video or whatever. I mean, it's somewhat facetious saying in the elevator, don't get confused if they don't, don't have an elevator. We're saying when you finish it, You send them an email saying thank you. But then when you get home, you write a thank you note 
by hand and put it in the mail because that is an extra layer of, of attentiveness to detail, a little extra layer of care, of in, in, like intention. It takes a little more effort. Writing an email is pretty easy. It's still important to do. But write that letter to send it in the mail to somebody. They're going to get it in their mailbox within two to three days. They're going to have a positive, warm feeling about you. That extra layer of following up matters. And following up without being uh, annoying. When I talk to Maylin Vu or I talk to other talent acquisition managers in the sports industry, Maylin Vu, one of our greatest interviews of all time with the Cleveland Guardians, director of talent acquisition. Okay. Maylin, I say, hey, Maylin, should people follow up? They interview. Should they follow up with their recruiter within the first week? And she's like, oh my gosh, definitely. You have to follow up because that lets us know you're still really interested in this position. So follow up, reach out, send a letter, send an email, all those things. So the email and letter is appreciation for the time. I really enjoyed being able to speak with you about this opportunity. I'm even more excited after our interview process. Something simple like that. But then following up within the first week of just want to check in and see what's happening with this opportunity. Any other questions anybody had? I have referral uh, recommendations ready whenever you need them, that kind of thing. So you want to see where it stands, let them know that you're still interested in. If you're not doing that, a lot of other people are, and they're in that 68% that are positively affecting their opportunity, their chances of being hired. Fourth one. Sometimes employers are looking deeper into your social presence after the first round of interviews. Let me run this through for you. So they get a big old batch of applicants and they do an initial scan based on skills and experience to see if it matches what they need. And so they get 500 applicants and then they cull that list down to 50 after kind of doing some simple filtering. And after they do a first round of interviews where they do some phone interviews and they start to cut down that list even further, before they get into the next phase of face-to-face, video, whatever, with the hiring manager rather than on the phone, whatever their next process, step in the process is, they say, all right, now's the time that we are going to double check everyone's social profiles. So they go through and they look and they see, hmm, there's some questionable stuff here or there's some immature stuff here. Or there's some overly political stuff here. Or there's some sarcasm that could be seen as threatening. Because I've seen that before. And you might be saying to yourself, oh, it's harmless. I'm just kidding around. They don't know that. They don't know that. And so sometimes they just take a step back and say, all right, I've got other candidates. I'll just follow through on them. This person hasn't stood out so much that I can't afford to not hire them. I'm just just going to not bring them to the next phase and move on with a different group. They're looking for ways to filter their list. Don't give it to them. Don't give them an easy answer. Don't give them an easy way out. If your social profiles have questionable things on them, don't do that in the first place, but get rid of whatever you can because, again, I'll give you some data. According to Career Builder Survey, 57% of employers have decided not to hire a candidate based on something they found online. So your best move is to not be an idiot on social media, but I know that doesn't, I have kids. I know that that is just kind of hard to legislate. Uh, don't just scrub your profiles. Don't just delete everything. That ends up being a pretty big red flag too. Uh, if you just delete your profiles, I think I read 47% of employers look at that as a really big red flag that you have a lot to hide. So I think the overarching rule here is don't be an idiot on social media, but again, hard to legislate. Uh, but if you do have, go through some of your old profiles, delete whatever you can. I mean, the internet kind of saves everything, but at least you can make it not as displayed and not as easy 
So get rid of some of that stuff. Uh, and, and I think you'll be in better position. But if you're losing opportunities because of things you've done, I mean, it's on you, right? It's on you. And some people try to say, well, like, how can they legislate my opinions? They're not. They're not. They're just saying, I don't need to push forward with this person to the next phase. I have other options. You're making their choices easy. So don't make it so easy on them. Let them see the real you. Let them see the true you. And if you think that is the true you, okay. 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 If you doing keg stands in your bikini is who you want to be, that's fine. Or if you're making, you know, over-the-top commentary, that's fine. But there are consequences. Okay, it's not cancel culture. It's consequence culture. So just be prepared for that and evaluate how you want to be remembered and recalled in these moments. Because this is a professional environment. And they may say this isn't a match for who we want. So we're just going to move on to other people. And you're filtering yourself out of opportunities before you even really get them. And to me, that's a shame. So I hope everybody will clean up their social profiles, follow up a little bit better, get those stories really mastered because that's what really conveys in an interview and do your research. Because if you do those things, Nathan, I think you'll start to find yourself getting those second interviews. Hope this was helpful for you. Make sure to tune into Laura Estefan. Diversity marketing for the Atlanta Braves. She masters and is the head of the Los Bravos brand, which is the outreach program for the Latin community in Atlanta. And they've built up a social profile that dominates. And they really get into the community and they really enrich and enliven that community, the Latin community, and have built an amazing fan base there. So it's a really great story to hear about how she got started. She was a student athlete. She She immigrated from Columbia. So I'm going to give this because I love this story. She was um, born and raised in Columbia, immigrated to America to play golf at Kennesaw State University as a student athlete, got hired by the Braves out of college, and has been dominating ever since. So really, really cool story for all you student athletes out there, for all you women trying to break into the industry, for all people interested in community relations and content creation and social media. Just amazing content as we finish up Women's History Month. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It's important for us to continue to grow, and that means I need all of you. So thanks for being here.